Hello and welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. In today's episode, Ben and I discuss the 2013 film, Thanks for Sharing, starring Mark Ruffalo and Gwyneth Paltrow. The movie examines 12-step culture through the experiences and relationships of recovering sex addicts. Ben and I hope you join the conversation by posting your thoughts about the movie on our website. Well, Ben, uh, thank you for suggesting this movie to watch. Um, This will be an interesting podcast. And to be honest with you, I think I'm going to let you kind of run things because I know you used to used to write movie reviews and you probably know how to talk about movies better than I do. So you want to just kind of talk about the movie a little bit and yeah. the movie we watched and what we're going to be talking about? Yeah, sure. Definitely, John. Um, yeah, I used to write movie reviews and I think um, anybody who listened to my story on here, there was a time where I just really got into film and the power of story and what's really going on underneath. And uh, the movie John and I decided to watch is called Thanks for Sharing. Um, some of the stars that are in it are Mark Ruffalo is probably the main star. Um, Tim Robbins, Gwyneth Paltrow, Josh Gad. Um, and I think why I suggested watching this movie is uh, there's not very many movies that deal this mm. square on with 12-step rooms. Mm-hmm. And now it has to do with sex ad- addiction, but some of the other people in the sex addiction groups, 12-step groups, mm-hmm. talk about having, you know, co-occurring, mm-hmm. that they have issues with alcohol or drugs too. But yeah, it really, it really looks at the culture of 12 step. Now it's, it's kind of got that, uh, you know, pop culture type feel to it. It's a little bit, you know, warmed over, but, but mm-hmm. you know, there's some dark spots in this movie too. I don't, you know, what, what was your reaction to, to watching it, John, versus what you were expecting maybe coming in? Oh, well, I, I, I don't know what I was expecting. Oh, you know, I tell you what I was expecting when I very first saw the previews, when it came out, I thought it was going to be like a comedy. But it wasn't mm-hmm. at all. I I found this to be a very serious movie. Um, mm-hmm. It touched me on on a deep level on a number of occasions, and I thought they did an excellent job capturing the culture of twelve step life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that the actors did a fantastic job of um, <laughs> portraying um, people in recovery. Yeah, know? and. Um, I, you know, I mean, there was, um, okay, let's kind of go back to, to, to the movie. What really got me the most? Oh, man. You know, the character that really got me the most was the young doctor. Mm-hmm. Josh Gad. Yep. Yes. He, okay. So in the movie, he starts out as a new guy who is basically court ordered to go to this, um, to this fellowship mm-hmm. because he's been inappropriately touching women like in public, like on the subway and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he doesn't really take it seriously, you know, when he's, when he's first um, involved in it. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, he's really out of control and he has this experience at work. He's in, he works in a hospital. He's a doctor mm-hmm. and he, um, he gets caught by his boss filming up her skirt so he gets mm-hmm. like really close to her and he's got this funky camera and he films up her skirt and he gets caught and anyway so he comes to his group and he talks about that mm-hmm. and the way that he portrayed that i mean the the shame the guilt 
the hatred that he felt about himself for doing something so stupid, for being mm-hmm. so out of control, for screwing up his life. I mean, all of those emotions I have felt, and I know that we all mm-hmm. have, who have who have faced addictions, and that I found that to be really, really powerful. And mm-hmm. then to watch his journey in recovery throughout the movie um, was interesting. And also mm-hmm. the relationships that he had with these other people, because, you know, they were portraying sponsors as the heavy handed, you know, kind of mm-hmm. in a joking way sponsor, like, you know, you better get yourself in line or whatever. And, and even right. the, um, the, the star of the movie, what was his name? Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. He was acting as this guy's sponsor and he was like really disappointed that the guy wasn't doing his work, mm-hmm. his step work in the book. Um, and I thought, Anyway, it was kind of interesting because if you, when you watch the movie, one thing I was thinking about was, you know, whether or not the guy was doing his step work or, or not really wasn't material. What was really happening that was helping him out was his relationship with the other newcomer. Um, mm-hmm. um, Pink? Pink. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And it was like his relationship with her and his interactions with everybody else, I thought, is what really ended up changing him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was a powerful part of the movie. And and for those listening right now, it's our our goal here probably is not just to review the movie and talk about the movie, but uh, talk about what it makes us think about and how it relates to recovery. And you know, I'm not always a fan of everybody being like, "Oh, have you hit your bottom?" This or that. But the film does a good job of showing that that doctor's character kind of hitting bottom. Like this is real like his job was threatened i mean i think maybe he was like in residency or something like that probably but his career that he'd worked so hard for was was under threat and that's what it took to get him willing like we see him in this movie go from a place of like yeah whatever i'm court ordered i'm not taking this serious he's lying about his sobriety date you know all that stuff Mm -hmm. and then when things started working for him was when he got honest and when he became authentic and and started reaching out and actually asking for help. And like you said, they, they've got Mark Ruffalo's character is kind of trying to, you know, play the heavy handed sponsor and he's kind of being mentored and sponsored by Tim Robbins character. So yeah. yeah, he's like, man, don't waste my time with all this. If you're not willing to do the step work, don't waste my time. And I mean, that rang so true. You oh, know, yeah. how many times, how many yeah. times do we hear about that or oh, how many yeah. of us have sponsored people? And yeah. And, and and on one hand, it's like I think about myself doing that to people and it's like, yeah, but it's like, I, you know, I, I don't believe in like dropping someone because they won't do step work. It's not no. always about that for me. And and it it doesn't prove to be in the movie either. But mm-hmm. like you said, it, it was about the relationship that he had and just reaching out and calling each other. And then there's that period of time, too, yeah. where Pink's Pink's character is thinking about, you know, going uh, hooking up with her ex-boyfriend again uh-huh. and she calls him in that moment of weakness and that helps him and he sprints out to go help her so as we yeah. talk about being there for other people and helping other people that was portrayed really well too yeah. and, it, and it really does get down to that I think it's about the relationships we have that help create purpose in our life I think you know I, I'm not not being a believer in God it's like mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think there's some set purpose out there for us to find what we do when we're interacting with each other in fellowship, to me, in good 12-step recovery is we are creating purpose and meaning in each other's life. Yeah. We are making life worth living for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, you know, he experienced um, step one when he, at that moment of that meeting, when he 
realized he had a problem and he was out of control. And he actually, that was the experience of all three steps because he, he realized he was out of control. He needed help. He believed that there was help there and he made a decision to start changing, you know? Mm -hmm. And then all throughout the movie, you could just see, see through his actions that he was experiencing, you know, what, mm -hmm. what, what, you know, so that whatever he did in the book, maybe it helped him, maybe it didn't. I don't know. But yeah. Um, Another well, thing, too, I noticed about it was the social hierarchy in AA mm -hmm. or the social hierarchy of 12-step culture. Because here you get, okay, you've got the older guy. This would be Mark Ruffalo's sponsor. Mm -hmm. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. Okay. And so he's like, you know, he's like, you know, the guy to go to, you know, he's like Mr. Expert. He's there to save right. everybody. He's, he's the one that get, that gives out the gifts to the people who are doing well and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you have Mark Ruffalo, who is like Mr. We call him Mr. AA, you know, he's just, mm -hmm. you know, he goes to his meetings. He's very regimental about his program and, um, very, very strict about it. It's like, it's like, um, and he's like, that's the way he has some control over his life, I guess, is by is by being very rigid about his his program, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if it's true about sex addicts or not, if they do like what he did, but he wouldn't allow himself to have a laptop and he wouldn't allow himself to have a television in his house. Mm -hmm. Maybe they, that's, yeah. that's true. I suppose for some people, it's like, you know, yeah, whatever you got to do to get away from the temptation. And I know when he's sponsoring Josh Gad's character, he tells him he can't take the subway because that's where he's run into problems before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it's it's also, like you said, the hierarchy, and it all comes down from Tim Robbins' character. Mm -hmm. And then I really liked how they showed that he was kind of... Uh, well, he was really tightly wound. He's like the yes. old time we think of at meetings that, um, you know, sometimes I complain about that they're, you know, underneath it all, there's a bunch of BS going on. And, and we see that in Tim Robbins' character's life. He is extra rigid. I mean, he's even more rigid than mm, Mark yep. Ruffalo's character probably. He really is. He and, is. And, and it shows he has a son that's struggling. Yep. And it shows that it's kind of easier for him to love people in the fellowship more than it is his son who's struggling with addiction. And they even use all the lingo about, um, oh, his son shows back up at him and his wife's home in the mm -hmm. middle of the night. And you can tell there's been issues before where he's stolen from them. So, yeah. And then the father accuses you know, the son of white knuckling no, it because he's not going to program himself. Yep. 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 Yeah. And I think his son is, I think he said he had like seven or eight months at that point too. And yeah. he's like, Oh, white knuckling it. Right. Yeah. <sighs> and, uh, so then you can see the battle for the attention between the son and Mark Ruffalo's character for, you know, it's like he wishes he looked at him like he does his yeah. sponsee, yeah. uh, Mark Ruffalo. So there's that. And I liked how it showed that, you know, he was, he, his, that rigidity did not work in his family. Yeah. And even for his wife, you know, we find out that he'd given his wife hep C and, um, you know, she kind of gave him some feedback at different times of what he needed to, needed to hear and needed to work on too. And, like, and his son, and his son, you know, on, I'm sorry to interrupt you, John. His son was was basically working the steps without working the steps. You know, he was trying mm -hmm. to make amends to his mm -hmm. family. He was getting honest. He yeah, was he was AAs and well, twelve step fellowships are not the only place to 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 do that. That's right, and it's too bad the father couldn't recognize that. But the father had his own issues. It's like you know, maybe sometimes we think that we've gotten so good and better, but we really haven't done the work. Maybe we've just done a, just enough work to stay clean, you know. But it's like that that character Tim Robbins. He um he had some real issues with his son. He never made amends to his son, you know. Right. And he yep. had a really hard time 
you know, during that one scene when the son, um, he thought that his son stole the the wife's pain meds and, mm-hmm. and he falsely accused his son of stealing them and wouldn't believe his son when, when, when he said he didn't. And right. then, and then even, and the, so the son was demanding an apology. The father wouldn't do it. And then even after the father was proven wrong, he still wouldn't apologize. Right. Yep. So yeah, that was, that was some powerful stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, uh, well, the other subject we can talk about, it's about um, dating outside the fellowship. You yeah. know, uh, Mark Ruffalo's character meets Gwyneth Paltrow at a party. And um, yeah, it's it's I've you know, my wife's not in recovery either. So it's mm-hmm. it's there. I had this feeling, um, you know, like who's going to want to date someone sober? It, it like took me yeah. a while to get comfortable being sober and confident in myself as a sober person. And then to, to have somebody, you know, have interest in you and then have to explain things to them. And, you know, like God, it's, it, it can be a tough balance, especially when we've got the things in our ear at the program that tell, you, you know, sobriety has got to be first. You don't miss a meeting for, you know, all that stuff. And, um, yeah, it was really, it was good how, how it showed him working through that with her. And then, on her side, that that character's difficulty with dealing with somebody who's in a in twelve step fellowship, mm-hmm. uh, that was really well told. I thought too. I did too, and I could relate to that um, also because I always dated outside of the program. I never dated anybody in the program, and yeah. that was always a difficult part of of having to broach that subject. That you know, I was a recovering alcoholic, but in every single case, it always turned out well. Except for in one instance, and I'll never, <laughs> this was a, and I dated her for like maybe a year. I don't know, mm-hmm. longer than I probably should have. But I mm-hmm. told her I was an alcoholic. Man, she looked, she gave me a look like, I told her I was a recovering alcoholic. I'd been sober for a long time at that time. And she mm-hmm. looked at me like um, I was like a serial killer or something. She looked mm-hmm. at me like I was one, one disgusting character. Yeah. Um, and I, I really felt. I, I really should have ended the relationship right then and there, mm-hmm. but I didn't. I, I dated her, and I guess she kind of came around to that whole thing, but she, it was mm-hmm. a really bad, bad deal. But that was always kind of nerve-wracking as like, when do I break it? Right. Uh, and I think even she was doing things like, you know, Mark Ruffalo's character, the girl – she or Gwyneth Paltrow, she – like one of the first things she said is she had a rule that she wouldn't date addicts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or alcohol. You're not an alcoholic or a drug addict, are you? Right. And he's like, no, "No, I'm not. Yeah. And I kind of remember, I think I've had an experience like that too. It's like, well, you know, yeah, but you know, I'm not drinking, you know, and Mm. it's like us, it's, it, it can be, it can be very, very difficult. And besides you already feel like, you know, you've got, you've got this, you've got this whole separate culture thing that she's not even involved with, you know, Mm. that you're kind of outside of her world in a way. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, Mark Ruffalo's character is kind of in that first couple year stage. I think he had two or three years, maybe sober. Um, and so he was finally starting to get out and date and things like that. So that can be a really tricky time in recovery where you're just getting your legs under you like really, really solidly. And you've probably been really engrossed in 12 step meetings. So yeah, it can feel like a culture shock just to, to be out of that and deal with people in the real world at times. Yeah. And, and just, yeah, it's, it's tough to navigate sometimes because people that aren't in recovery, I think this is my feeling. I don't know if it's true for you, John, or if anybody else out there agrees with it. I think on some level, 
don't get me wrong. A lot of our stories are really crazy and out there and pretty bad. But I also think when we've spent so much time in meetings, there's something about being around that 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 makes you feel like you have to drum up your story and make everything sound horrible and awful and like everything in your life was a wreck. Now, I'm not saying that my life was perfect at all. But, um, you know, there's no – why wouldn't somebody run from us if we made our lives sound that absolutely crazy? But but the truth of the matter is like when people hear the word alcoholic or this or that, yeah. they just immediately think that your life was the absolute worst of the worst of the worst and yeah. you did all these absolutely horrible things that were pretty unforgivable. And you know, I think that's why there were periods of time in my life where I was really outspoken about being in recovery because I kind of wanted to break the stigma. I can remember um, I was in a wedding it was one of the first weddings I was in where I didn't drink. And a lot of my old friends that I hadn't seen in quite a while were like, oh, you don't drink anymore, huh? I'm like, yeah, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And they're like, what? They're like, oh, if you are, then I am too. And I just kind of <laughs> like sat there, you know, and then like those people would get drunk. And then later that night, they come up and they'd be like, so like, what? How bad did it get? What was going on? Were you doing this? Were you doing that? And it's like, I don't know. Everybody has that word carries so much weight and it's different for each person, you know? Yeah. And when we're sitting in the rooms and we're and we're telling our stories and there's almost like, oh, it's almost like, you know, we we it's like we're so comfortable telling our stories with each other, you know, but tell someone outside the rooms Mm -hmm. and we're not so we're not so comfortable at all. You know, Mark Ruffalo really wasn't wanting to, to deal with that. But he's totally, I mean, in his own little world there with his with his friends from his group. Yeah, it's all, you know. Everybody right. understands each other. So, well, and it can be difficult, you know, like having intimacy with someone, like a closeness, an emotional closeness with someone, when you feel like you have to be careful what you share with them because yeah. what you share might scare them away. So, if you share it too soon, you destroy the chance of having a decent relationship with them. But if you wait too long, then you run the risk of them being mad that you didn't tell them earlier. So, it can yeah. be can be really tricky. And maybe with that being his first relationship since he was um, clean, that um, maybe he maybe that was destined not to work. It's almost like, you know, you have to have you have to learn from your mess ups, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think um, first time I was sober dating and being rejected or rejecting someone else like. Yeah, that was whole new behavior and whole new things to have to go through. Like, you know, trying to do be above board on about everything and not just ghost away from someone or, you know, and, and yeah, yeah, it can be really tricky to navigate that stuff. Yeah. But I could kind of relate to that character. Cause I, I think I was like that, you know, he, he was feeling like, um, he had things together. His, he felt like he was on, he had a solid program. He was doing everything the way that they told him to do it. You know, he's on his knees every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the people in his group were looking up to him, you know, respecting him. And he was just feeling like, you know, every, that he had everything together. And, um, you know, I think that I was kind of like that too, living, living that within that world, you know? Um, but then eventually I think if you're really going to be healthy, you have to kind of expand your life outside of the rooms and be mm-hmm. comfortable in the real world, you know, with other people and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. And that's maybe one of my concerns about AA is that it almost, it almost the thing, you know, you hear before people get surrendered, I guess, that you're being terminally unique or you're acting like you're terminally unique. Well, then there's something about when you're in AA and really it's all 
working, but yet you're so wrapped up in it. And we alcoholics, we're different. Normies can't understand this. It's almost like we practice that terminal uniqueness on the other side of that. And to me, it's like, no, it's like, it's just healthy living. Like everybody struggles with the same things we struggle with. I think it's just a a level of a degree of how they struggle with it. Alcoholic, not alcoholic. So it's almost like practicing the same ego centered thing to think, I am an alcoholic and this is the perfect, I am an alcoholic and there's, this is the perfect program for me. It's almost like practicing that terminal uniqueness in a bad yeah. way with the program. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's got, like you said, it's got to be something that helps us reconnect with the real world as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just, and you see this a lot and whatever, you know, God bless these people, I guess that I don't believe in. Yeah. Um, but, but it's in some people, their whole life revolves around the rooms being in AA. They don't know anyone or hang out with anyone outside of that. Yeah. And if that's what works for you, great. But you know, I've sponsored some people that were like that yeah. and then asked me to help them through stuff. And, and yeah. underneath that, there's not always a lot of happiness with that. Yeah. I was so. definitely like that during my first five years. I mean, I went to a lot of meetings, Ben. I mean, I, it would be not unusual to me to go like three meetings a day. Um, uh-huh. Seriously, that's how, that's how I was. I always lived, you know, well, I, I didn't always live close to the group, but I, I could get to meetings always, you know, pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my whole social life was AA. And actually in those early days, like my first few years, I'd actually go to AA dances. And mm-hmm. I mean, everything I did was all related around AA. I'd go out to movies with the guys from the group and, you know, that was it. But after I started dating, I don't know. Well, actually, I started dating after my first year. Actually, I went on a date and she was very nice. I talked about her once before. I don't know why that, mm-hmm. that didn't work out. I just wasn't quite ready, I guess. But um um, then it really wasn't until after that five year period when I started dating a little bit more seriously, more often. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that's because it got easier and I was getting, I was getting better too, as far as, um, you know, overcoming a lot of, I was getting, my self-esteem was kind of coming back. You know, I was feeling mm-hmm. pretty good about myself. I, I, I was pretty happy with, um, how things were going. And, uh, so it was kind of easier to date. There's no way I could have dated. I don't think my first, my first, you know, seriously, my first couple of years, because, you know, it was such a struggle. Yeah. I don't know if anybody even would have been interested in me to quite be honest with you. (laughs) Well, and you can see why people relapse. I mean, relationships definitely are one of the main relapse triggers early on too. It's, I think it's, we get to a place when you're getting healthier in recovery to where all your eggs aren't in one basket. Like it's not just about this relationship or just about this. You've got things going on in your life and it gets a little bit easier to not rely just on this one thing for your happiness. Mm -hmm. But in the early going, it's like we're still looking for that fix on some level. Like, well, it's going to be her or him, you know, that's going to make everything okay. Yeah. And then when that doesn't go quite right, it's easy to just throw your hands up and be like, well, fuck it. Nothing's ever going to go right. Why not drink? Because yeah. I, I think that's what usually happens when people relapse. It's not so much, oh, the disease crept up and got them. I think it's, in my experience at least, I, I haven't relapsed since I've been in AA, but dealing with clients and stuff through the years, it's there's something that happens before that. It's not just, well, the disease got me. It's like, no, there's a thought pattern that goes on, mm-hmm. and it usually leads somebody to say, screw it, I'm not feeling any better, so why not drink? You yeah. know, Like Mark Ruffalo, he, he relapsed in this movie. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and w- w- what got that? If it, was that, but did he relapse after she discovered that he was in the program? How did that, I can't remember how that, how's relapse, what led up to that? Yeah, I can't remember exactly either, but I remember he was up late at one night, late one night, taking a phone call from a sponsor. That's right. And he had told her that she was a sex addict at that time. So then she wasn't trusting that he was telling the truth. Right. And she asked him to see his phone. And he said no. And then she said, well, why won't you let me see your phone? And he, he just said, this isn't going to work without a little bit of trust. Yeah. And it turns out he, was, he wasn't he was talking and he, and he wasn't doing anything. He wasn't acting right. out. Yep. But, but yeah, that's right. Because she found, she found out about it through his um, – she was – picking up his shirt or something and his, his uh, sobriety token fell out. Yep. And that's where she, she, th- she assumed it was for AA or NA, I guess and mm-hmm. confronted him. And, but then he, after that, then he, he relapsed and it, it was a pretty hardcore relapse. Um, oh yeah. Um, and I, I just, that was just kind of uh, interesting how all that, that happened, but then he came back, you know, Mm-hmm. Yeah, they portrayed that very well. Um, yeah, like his complete change of personality and giving yes. into the impulse. And, um, well, I was going to say taking advantage of a, another woman that he had in the past, but we see that she also had issues too. She did. Um, yeah, it's just it that that was very powerful the way it the way it showed that. And I think all of the characters at that time, that was kind of the climax of everything of the third act and. Uh, Tim Robbins' character was very close to relapsing he before was. they found out about his son um, relapsing and getting in a car accident. Yep. He actually was getting ready to buy a bottle of bourbon. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, I mean, it it can happen just like that. I mean, I just oh, got yeah. done saying that there's something that goes on before that. But, but so, like, Tim Robbins' character, he's not resolving anything. He's probably got a lot of guilt about how he's treated his son and that his son's not doing well, even though he portrays – you know, this beacon of recovery who, whatever, it's like, if we don't get at those issues, I think we, they have a chance to get us. They really do. Yeah. Well, you know, I came really close to relapsing after um, I'd been sober. This would have been my first two years of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what was going on. Although I th- I had a lot of, um, at that time, I, I, it was, I, I struggled a lot during my first few years, Ben. I mean, financially, I mean, mm-hmm. I, it, it was really, it took a long time for me to just to get on my feet, just to be able to put gas in my car on a regular basis and make sure there was food to eat. I mean, these are basic things. It took me a while to kind of have that kind of stability, just physically. Right. And so I had that kind of stress. And I also, I had this job. I was selling insurance, and, mm-hmm. and um, it was a high pressure job because I oh, didn't yeah. I didn't make any money unless I sold an insurance policy. You know, I had right. to, I had to constantly find someone to buy insurance from me. You know, mm-hmm. and it was a really it, it could have been a you know I guess I just wasn't cut out for it. But um, so I had that pressure, and then my boss was upset with me because you know i wasn't consistent and Mm -hmm. oh god i would be arguing with people and so i i just had all this kind of stuff going on but what happened with me is all that stuff is going on in the background i'm going to meetings all the time and all this crap's going on in the background but i had this weird obsession of a bottle of apricot brandy and i don't know why Mm -hmm. it was apricot brandy but I couldn't get the thought out of my mind. And, and I would think, you know, I just gonna, I'm just gonna go buy a bottle and I'm gonna put it in my coat pocket and keep it in the closet just in case I need it. <laughs> and then one night 
I actually go into the liquor store and I'm going to buy that goddamn bottle. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in that store and I saw all these bottles are all over me and everything. And I was really kind of, my heart's pounding. I'm just kind of, oh, yeah. I'm just feeling kind of scared. And so I just, I just run out of there and I, I, I go home. And I do call my sponsor at the time and I talk to him and the thought goes away. But that was the closest that I was like mm-hmm. that Tim Robbins character. I actually was that close, you know? How long uh, had you been sober at that time, John? I don't. I think I don't think I was quite two years sober because mm-hmm. I, that was my very first job in sobriety was when I was working for the insurance company. Um, mm-hmm. I was probably within my first, I think maybe in my second year. I was probably in my second year of sobriety at that time. Mm-hmm. But like I say, it was it took me a while to get get going again. Um, and I had a little bit of a fall because um, when I um, my first actually my. Yeah, my first job in sobriety was at selling insurance, and and that didn't work out. And when I let when I lost that one, I had to live with this guy in, at my home group for a while. I didn't have a job, mm-hmm. and um, it was just kind of a rough time. It, it, I, yeah. you know, but I was young too. I was you know, fortunately for me, it would have been really bad if I was in my fifties doing that. Yeah, <laughs> I was in my 20s. well, man, sales jobs, high pressure. I mean, there's there's yeah. no. I mean, it's no surprise that there's a lot of people in sales that uh, have alcohol problems. Yeah, it's it is a tough thing, you know. You gotta you gotta really love it, and I I didn't. And you have to really be devoted to working all the time, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. I uh, I had some notes written down here too. Um, there was that scene, the first scene when Pink comes into the meeting. Yeah, I saw and that. she was yeah she was talking about um, just that powerlessness is what she was describing, and then she she said something like, "I just don't know any other way to be." Yeah, and that really struck me because I can remember coming in and thinking to myself, "I I think I want to quit drinking, but I don't know how. I don't I don't even want to say I don't know how to quit drinking. It's just like, how do you live? How do you? I mean, it's just like I don't know. I didn't know. Same thing she said. I didn't know how to be any other way. Like I've always been this way. It felt like, yeah. and. I think that's what just in general, the rooms, not even the slogans, the this, the that, just the other people being there yeah. and showing you that it can be done. You Did know, you pick it, up on the looks that the guys were giving her, though. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I yeah. kind of felt like, you know, because it was a, all guys. She was the only woman in there. Right. And they were because she was very, you know, she's attractive. Right. And she was talking about, you know, all these sexual um, impulses that she has and everything. And right. I could just, the other guys in the room where I could just see they were slightly uncomfortable, but at the same time, they knew better and they were right. kind of giving her her space, but I could tell it wasn't like a natural thing. Right. But eventually she did form that friendship though with the, with the guy. Yep. And it was, they were slightly uncomfortable, but then it was also like that whole like, oh man, she's really messed up. You know, like when yes. you can see like these old timers looking like, oh, this person, nah, keep coming back, keep coming back. Yeah. You know, they tell you that because you need a lot of work is basically what they're saying. But one thing about that program, they must have modern literature. I was looking at their book and it was like, you know, it didn't look like some ancient um, text like what we, we have. Yeah. You know, I'm not super familiar. I always meant to go to some open uh essay uh-huh. meetings because you know i had clients who came in with those issues too i never did i should have yeah um i think i was kind of scared that i it's same reason some people probably don't want to go to AA meetings so i'm yeah. kind of ashamed to say that but yeah. some of them are very i think kind of christian based in that there's no masturbation there right. is no this there's no that 
And some of them are more almost a moderation thing where it's like trying to keep it under control. But right. um, yeah, there's there's about three or four different ones, I believe. Well, in this movie, that's how they um, based their sobriety was no masturbation, no mm-hmm. no um, sex outside of a committed relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those were the, yeah. main, the main things. Yeah. But, you know, even though it wasn't specifically about AA or NA or anything like that, it was very, they were very spot on with the the whole 12-step. And even the slogans, like Tim Robbins' character has all the slogans, and it's like people are trying to talk to him about things, and he will just, well, you know, one day at a time, or, you know, it's just like, it's like that dismissing of your feelings. It's like there's a slogan for everything. Yeah. yeah. And they all went to fellowship afterwards. They all would go out to eat at a diner or things like that and give each other time and pal around and yeah yeah and and then uh we haven't really talked about but like tim robbins uh wife in the thing she kind of talks to gwyneth paltrow's character about what it's kind of like dating mm-hmm. somebody who's in recovery too and i think that was kind of what also set off gwyneth paltrow's character to have some concerns about mm-hmm. what she was really getting into when it's when you're in a relationship with someone yeah and she saw how much time you know, they spent and, you know, you had to dedicate your life to this on some level. And, yeah. you know, it can, it can be really tough for people's families too. like, I just, there's no way I could be as involved as I, as I was now having a wife and daughter. And, and yeah. on some, you just, I mean, part of my recovery is I've got to be good to my family and be here for them. You really do. I think that I think it's healthy to have that balance to really have your to be in both worlds. You could be in your little recovery world, but you you should probably mo- be mostly in the real world, you mm-hmm. know, with your family and everything. And I'll confess, I'll admit that I I've been way too far into the AA world lately, but mostly with AA Beyond Belief, spending mm-hmm. way so way 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 too much time on it, and mm-hmm. it's just. It's insane, you know. So um, I'm actually talking talking to my friend Doris about getting some balance, and for all of us need need a little bit of balance because it's mm-hmm. just it's just not healthy, you know. You, you yeah. need to, I need to do other things too. I need to go, you know, spend some time with my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go, yeah, you know, maybe get some exercise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I've got to prioritize that stuff too. I've been going to a few more meetings lately, and. You know, I'd say about 60% of them that I've been going to have been pretty okay. But the couple that I've gone to that were bad were just like awful, like yeah. not sure if I ever want to come back here awful. The last uh, meeting I went to, I got all, you know, quite a bit of, I didn't get feedback, but I could definitely tell I bothered some people. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody was talking about step four and five and, and sharing everything with your sponsor and confessing everything. And I kind of spoke up and said that I didn't really see it as a confession. And I've yet to find that in the, in the literature where it really makes it sound like that necessarily. And then I also brought up being careful what you share with people in that, um, you know, some people try and walk us through our trauma and they don't really have any business doing it. And that I think it, it reactivates that trauma. And that's why some people drink and, Man, I had the old timer that I always butt heads with. He was just burying his head in his hands, and I was just like, "Oh man!" Yeah. But I again, then I had like three or four people come up to me after the meeting and said, "I'm so glad you said what you said." And then another guy asked me to give him a ride home, and we had a nice talk about all that stuff. And yeah, uh, and actually, yeah. the the thumpers, if they really read the book, they'd see that um, you might choose to disclose some things to another person. You don't mm-hmm. have to do it all with one person, right? 
So yeah, and that it doesn't even mention sponsor. That's <laughs> not your right, doesn't. So yeah, but it's uh, and you didn't you had an experience? You went to a traditional oh, meeting recently, right? It seems like I can. I very rarely go to traditional meetings. I can almost count on one hand over the last couple of years how many times I've been to a meeting, and every single instance has been some kind of something happened. But this mm-hmm. last one was really crazy. I went to this group. Um, really, I, I was going for our district. Our district wants to visit another, uh, a group in our district that isn't, that isn't represented at district every week, right? Mm-hmm. So this week we went to this group and they're kind of in a, they're kind of in a rough neighborhood. I mean, it, it's a, it's a integrated neighborhood. It's black and white. It's a, it's a very integrated neighborhood. It's actually an immigrant type community and there's people, all races and everything, but mm-hmm. it's very, it's crime ridden. There's a lot of crime and it, there's a lot of poverty. Um, it's just a really rough neighborhood, really rough area. I used to live there. I lived there for seven years, but anyway, mm. that's where it is. And, um, and the group we went to, um, at one time it was a huge group. They said that they would fill the hall up, the upstairs and downstairs with people. And they would have like, you know, a couple of meetings every single day, you know, just a huge group. Now they're barely hanging on. And like mm. when we were there, there were like three people at first at the meeting. And the, and then, um, then we were, I was joined by the two, two guys from my district. Well, the meeting started, it was going to be a big book meeting. And the guy explained what, ha- what he does there. He says, because the literacy rates in that neighborhood are so low, what he does is he reads the big book and then kind of talks about it while he reads it. Right. Mm. And mm-hmm. so he did that and he was reading Bill's story. And, and actually I was, <laughs> I was actually kind of enjoying it at first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like somebody reading me a bedtime story or something. It was yeah. really, and he, he did a really good job explaining it and all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I was really good, right, with it, right? Well, later this um this woman comes into the meeting a little bit late and he starts pontificating about something. He says something like, he starts talking about how um people today are taking too much time to work through the steps. They're not doing it right. And that's what's mm-hmm. wrong with AA and because people aren't reading the big book anymore. And that's our whole problem. Anyway, this woman, she, she peeps up. She says, where does it say that there's a timeline for working the steps? Mm-hmm. And then he starts quoting this and that. And, you know, and it was like, you know, that she, she just kind of like pulled the rug out from under him. And then he, he, he would try to defend his position and mm-hmm. then um, the DCM from my, from from my district, he and he's been sober since 1965. He's, oh, wow. He he gets upset. And he says, "Hey, he says if people were telling me I had to believe in God and I first come here, I'd say fuck you. You know, I wouldn't be going coming to these meetings and everything." Anyway, the guy was going on and on and on about how the the big problem with AA, the reason right. that AA isn't isn't I'm um, doing well today is because people aren't um, working the program right and they're not reading the big book enough. And he was criticizing AA because, like, the sponsorship pamphlet doesn't talk about God enough and all this crap. Well, anyway, so I pipe up. And I said, well, maybe the problem with AA is the big book to begin with. God damn, it's almost 100 years old now. Can't we write a new mm-hmm. book? And oh, wow. He, I know. I probably, You know, I'm just used to being able to say stuff like that without anybody thinking anything of it. But, of course, he looked at me like, God, well, are you a crazy person? Right. Every, actually, everybody in the room looked at me like, are you crazy to say something like that? Right. And I kept going, well, I said, yeah, you know, yeah, great. You know, it's a good book and everything. You know, we, we can, we can build on what they, they learn. We don't have to, you don't have to keep reading the same damn book all along, you know, yeah. <laughs> anyway. 
oh, well, he wouldn't talk to me after the meeting. But he was really crazy um, over the top with his stuff. And I think he must have been like a back to basics person because I think mm-hmm. the back to basics people believe that you have to work the steps like really fast, I guess. Right. You have to go through them like um, – in a week or something. Yeah, because that's how they did it in the good old days. <laughs> right. Supposedly. So, yeah. But, yeah. you know, here's what happened. The two that's really ironic. After I left, um, a week went by or whatever. Okay. So I'm thinking, okay, this guy's group is struggling, right? He, he Hardly right. anybody shows up anymore. Um, and he thinks that the problem is because people aren't reading the big book. So he's pounding the big book down people's throats. And the only people I saw in the meeting were people that were just like real subservient to it or people Mm -hmm. that hated it, right? Right. It was just not very pleasant. Now, at our group, we don't read the big book at all. We never read the goddamn thing. Mm -hmm. And and our group is growing. In fact, we had 31 people at our meeting yesterday. Holy cow. I know. And we're just growing all the time. And we we now have two secular groups, seven meetings a week. There's probably a couple hundred of us, you know, when you think about it now. That mm-hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't even know how many people have come through that group. But we're growing by leaps and bounds. So, I mean, now that there are some differences. I mean, he is in a rough neighborhood. That that group is in a rough neighborhood. Right. And so he's got different different deals going on. I mean, the, the neighborhood is like a lot of people don't drive, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, where I where I where our meeting is, it's in a nicer area. So, you know, people can drive to the meeting. They feel, they feel safe there and everything. Whereas this place, I mean, I swear to God, Ben, you drive through that neighborhood, you're, you're going to see someone get arrested. I mean, it's just, it's right. just that kind of neighborhood. So he's got that working against, against them too. But um, anyway, I just thought, yeah, you know, I think I'm proving myself, my point that, you know, we don't really need the, the big book as great as it is. <laughs> right. Well, how dare you, somebody 30 years sober, (laughs) uh, complain about something written by people barely sober? How would you dare know more than they do? I know. It's funny. I introduced myself, too, as being from the We Agnostics group. I don't think he knew what that was, you know. Yeah. No, he wouldn't know. I I know one of the more rigid meetings around here, too. Some guy chewed everybody out for being on their phone in meetings and that you're going to distract the person next to you because – they're going to not hear the message and then they're going to go out and die I because know, you're, you're going to kill those alcoholics. <laughs> well, and it's just like when I was a counselor, I had some people who had such severe social anxiety that they could not sit in a meeting unless they were knitting, playing on their phone, yeah, yeah. whatever. I mean, I, I get the point in general, but nobody's, I mean, again, I'll say what, what if people are going out and dying because they can't stand to hear your loud ass in this meeting, you know? That's right. Just That's, complaining about everybody. This guy's like 30 years sober, too. And just, yeah. I mean, something's not working. I mean, he's sober, but it's just like, good, dear God. Well, that's what these guys who cling to the rigid approach are always saying is that um, that the soft, the soft way, the softer way is killing people, right? That we're, yeah. we're killing people. But... You could just as easily say, well, you know what? How many people are, are, are turned off by your crap and just don't, yeah. they, they, they don't come back and go, maybe go drink after listening to your crap, you know? Right. So anyway, but yeah, yeah, so I had a big fight with him and then I was kind of like the next day I was a little depressed about it. I, and I mm-hmm. think, I think I was, when I was watching the, the movie the first time, I mean, just seeing the, the culture of the 12 steps and the cultish kind of way that we sort of are, just, I don't know. I felt kind of weird. The first time mm-hmm. I watched it, the second time I watched it, I was um, not, I didn't have that feeling. But the first time I watched it, I just felt kind of, um, oh, I don't know. 
you know, I, I, I get frustrated sometimes with, with AA, with mm-hmm. the, with just the culture of Alcoholics Anonymous and how there are so many out there that are resistant to change and, mm-hmm. and how, um, ins- insular we are, I guess, you know, yeah. um, how we have our own little, um, world. We have our own government. <laughs> we have our own, you know. I know. And then everything talks about how we should have as little organization as possible. And it seems like there's levels of organization all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. We are, we're, we're quite organized really. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't, it's, I've had my off off and on lately with AA too. You know what I've been doing too is, and this is childish, but I've been unfriending a lot of people I know in recovery on Facebook. And I, I don't feel like I'm doing it for childish reasons, but like, they're, they're not people that I'm really friends with. I just know yeah. them in meetings. We don't hang out outside of meetings. And it's like, I don't, I just, there's no point in me being friends with these people. I think I need to have just the right amount of involvement in AA. Yeah. And that's part of me unfriending some of these people. Maybe it's childish. Maybe I need to take my own inventory on that, but it's just. No, I've done that before it, too. And I, there, I, I've, I'm on Facebook a lot and um, there's a couple of people there. They're, they're my quote friends. <laughs> They're not really friends, right? <laughs> but uh, my my Facebook friends. But they like to they like to goad me sometimes. You know, they'll right. they'll just like harass me about crap, or I'll I'll read I'll read stuff that they um post, and they're like you know fanatical about the program, and be they're very strict about it. And I guess right. you know you know it's kind of funny, Ben. You know, I talk about that. I don't like that. I don't like the strict approach at all. I don't like that, but. Then you hear some people say, well, you know what, if it's working for those people and it's helping those people and it helped you at one time, blah, 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 maybe it's okay. I don't know. Maybe, mm-hmm. But where I'm at now, I really don't like it at all. I really yeah. don't like it. And I know a lot of other people don't too. Well, I can, ex- I can respect somebody else's right to work whatever, however they want, just as I would hope they would me. But it doesn't mean yeah. I have to respect their beliefs about it. Like I yeah. can respect somebody's right to believe something, but it doesn't mean I can have to respect their belief. Well, here's the problem too with it is they're so fanatical that it's not good enough for them just to feel that way for themselves. Mm-hmm. Like this guy, this meeting, he thought it's all, it's a whole problem with AA because people aren't doing it like hit, like he does it. You know? Right. So screw me. You know, I'm the, I'm, I'm the, I'm the idiot that's not doing it right. You know, I should be doing it the way that guy does. He does it. Right. Well. Now that's the problem. If you know, in AA, we're really supposed to talk about our own experience we're, right. for what works for each person as an individual, we're not yeah. supposed to talk about, you know, that, you know, we, we all fall lockstep into the same dogma. Right. Um, but anyway, I could go lately I've been, that. I've been qualifying my shares with, okay, now I'm not asking for anyone to agree with me or cross talk at me or disagree with me. I mean, I say it nicer than that, but I'll, I'll, I'll qualify my share that way at the beginning. I, and yeah. then I'll say, this has just been my experience. I'm not asking for anyone to agree with it. Yeah. And that seems to shoot down any, you know, evil crosstalk I get back at me. But yeah. I don't it's it's a it can be a battle and it's an ongoing one that sometimes I go and it's just fine and I'm glad to see people and it's nice and then other times it's like, wow, is it a full moon? Everybody's snapping yeah. at each other. It has and I find this it has so much to do with who chairs the meeting. And the yeah. first share that they put out and the tone they put out in their first share. Yeah. It, it, it really relies on that a great deal, I think. Yeah, it does. It does. Even, even in our group, um, 
you know, but at least uh, at least at our group, though, there's more there's more openness. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten to the point now where I, I'm not really I don't I'm not too concerned about what the topic is anymore. I just like to I just mm-hmm. like to be there and see what's happening and talk to people before and after the meeting. Um, I, I really enjoy that. And that that's that's that to me is what makes it all worthwhile. Um, but I don't know. Traditional meetings, I don't know, man, because I wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to have that. I, uh, you know, it's tough. But but uh, it's I don't know. But I but with my, it's different though with my district because I you know I do that service work stuff. It's different right. with them. I do like those guys, and they do go mm-hmm. to traditional meetings, and but they're nice to me, and they're and they're they understand me, and um, I respect them, and they respect me. You know, they're not trying to push their way on me, and I'm not trying to push my way on them. And I think that's why it's nice. But if I go to traditional meetings and people and those meetings have never heard somebody like me before talk or someone from my perspective talk, they will want to put me down. You know, they're going to mm-hmm. want to say, no, this guy's fucked up. You know, don't listen to him. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. I've had so many people who thought they knew me and then they heard I didn't believe in God. And then all of a sudden, you know, they used to want to recommend me to sponsor people. And then now it's like, well, <laughs> I guess I didn't know you as well as I thought you did. Right. Right. I thought I did. It's yeah. it's interesting, and you know, I I ask myself, I'm envious of you that you could go to an agnostic atheist meeting every yeah. day of the week. But I ask myself, like, is that what I do? Would I only go to those? I mm-hmm. I think I maybe I maybe would. Yeah, I've I've never had a bad experience at one, and I've been to quite a few. Yeah. and I went to Chicago one time, and um, went to two meetings that weekend while I was out there, and one was the mustard seed group. Mm. I was one of three non-black people there, and there was probably about a hundred people there, and it was wow. like a, a revival, yeah. church tent revival. Yeah. Um, I've been a meeting like that before. That was yeah, the gentleman that was preaching was reading out of the Bible almost the entire time. Oh, really, the real Bible? Out. Yeah, the Bible, and he would mix in uh, the big book every once in a while. You could tell he would be like, "Oh crap, I've kind of gone off too much on the Christianity." Now I'll go read a line out of the big book. Was that in but, uh, Lincoln? No, this was in Chicago. Oh, Chicago. Yeah. Okay. And then, so I was like, wow, that was pretty, and that was like an hour of him preaching that way, and then they broke into small groups, and at the break between the two, I was like, yeah, I think I'll get out of here. Yeah. And then uh, the next day, I went to a quad A meeting in, um, uh, yeah, I can't remember what part of Chicago, but it was north of downtown a little ways. Uh-huh. And that was most of us just sitting around talking, having coffee, and we had a a little mini topic and everybody just kind of chatted. And yeah. So, I mean, there's different kinds of AA meetings all over the place. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think we covered things pretty well with the movie here, but um, yeah, I, I don't know if you want to keep doing movies like this. Yeah, we'll do another one. I enjoyed it. Um, You know, I'll probably, maybe I'll get better at it as time goes on. I was telling, I was telling my wife, it's like, God damn it. Usually I watch a movie and I forget it. I forget about it right after I've oh, seen yeah. it. <laughs> For sure. You know? Well, there's something, um, you know, when I used to write reviews, there was, I can't remember what the name of the book was called, but it was about watching movies with intention uh-huh. and, you know, trying to look at the message. And I always take notes when I'm, well, when I'm going to do things like this, I yeah. do. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it, it'll be good because it's a good way to bring up issues because I think if we do these little movie things, you know, maybe we can put a trailer on the website or something yeah. ahead of time so people can watch if they want. 
Yeah. And then we kind of, it's almost, we'll feel like a group discussion, but it's really, it's not about talking about the movie. It's about talking about what the movie makes us think about. Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like going out to movie with your, with your friends from your group or whatever, than just chatting about it afterwards or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I did like this movie, by the way, I thought the acting was excellent and it was just, I, I did enjoy it. So yeah, it was better than I remembered it being the first time I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. So good idea. We'll do it again. Sounds good. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Well, you have a nice week. Um, I certainly will. Yeah, I'm going to try by. to. It's gone by fast. Got a lot yeah, we've do. got all kinds of crazy stuff going on. We're getting our house ready to sell, and we're trying to figure out stuff for the new house, and it just feels like chaos, but yeah, hopefully it'll settle down after that. So you're going to wait and for it, your house to sell before you move? Well, I don't know. Probably not. Okay. Um, hopefully we don't have to. We're going to hopefully time it well, but yeah. you know. And control yeah. those things. So yeah, that's true. And the realtor wants to stage our house and things like that. Oh, so I we're basically, that. yeah, I know we're basically moving out before we move out. But um, yeah, I don't know. We got some trips planned this summer, and we've got a little bit of free time. So we'll go. We'll do a little traveling as well. So cool. How about yourself? I'm just going to be working, but in July I'll be in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm going to go to a convention, a AA convention. Um, they're having the Florida State convention there, and they're having a We Agnostics panel. I'm going to be doing, uh, participating in the We Agnostics oh, panel. Oh wow! Yeah, Glenn wow. G from from the Atlantic yeah. Beach group invited me down, so I got my ticket. I'm ready to go. July that 20. is awesome. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, I've been seeing online too about the SOAR thing in uh, Canada. I was like, oh gosh, I should. Uh... Yep. Look into that too. Uh, but I, I'm supposed to go to that too. Um, I need to get my passport and I've been, mm-hmm. I've been procrastinating. I need to do that. Um, so I better do that yeah. before they, you know, they might not want Americans to go there. Well, you never know. <laughs> I've got to look into, since I've had the DUIs in my record and they were, yeah. uh, well, close to 10 years now, but I think I've, I've got to look at filing something so I can go to our international. Yeah. Um, check. Fixa. Check that out because um, there is a way through that, and they're actually working with the Canadian government. Um, so I think there's a way that you can you can get get around that because mm-hmm. um, it, it's an issue even for me and mine. Mine were a long time ago. Um, oh yeah, but they. Told I know if it's if it's been ten years, you can you can file for like an expulsion or, or expunging of your record by Canada standards or something. I can't remember. And you can also apply for a temporary resident permit. Um, yep, yep. get in that way too so yeah it's kind of a pain they really take it seriously those duis oh yeah i saw that i'd I'd have to get all my paperwork together about completing this and doing that and oh, uh, you know treatment here and all that stuff so yeah yeah i'm gonna have to look into that more <laughs> all right ben well all right john we'll be posting this here pretty soon um probably i'm a, i like to give myself a little bit of time nowadays so probably i don't know not this wednesday but the following wednesday sounds great yeah. all right well you have a good one awesome you too john good talking to you well that's it for another episode of aa beyond belief the podcast hope you enjoyed it we'll be back soon enough with another episode for your listening pleasure until then don't drink go to meetings and help others